Those who are in the fifth grade or younger, um, there is a special service downstairs for you, and you're welcome to go at this time. Our children's service downstairs, fifth grade and younger. I'd like to invite the rest of you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 11. We're going to leap ahead a little bit. Um, coming up. Next in Luke chapter 7 is John the Baptist, but we will not get back to him until after Resurrection Sunday, about three weeks from now. Uh, I wanted to begin this month by talking about a special focus on the subject of prayer, and uh, then of course next Sunday, as uh, you're aware, is... um, Palm Sunday and the week following Resurrection Sunday, so a lot going on there. By the way, um, Ron said I would mention a little more later, I want to invite you to the sunrise service. Um, Sometimes uh, churches get in a habit of talking about familiar things, uh, and they're not familiar to everyone. And we say, well, we're having sunrise at the Bolins. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Bolins are a family in our congregation. They live in Ingleside out on Long Lake. They have a, a lovely home on the lake with a nice big front porch. It'll seat 50 or 60 people. And uh, we meet out there this year at 5.30 at Faces Eastward across the lake. And so we uh, can sit on the porch, uh, get a cup of coffee first so you stay nice and warm, and sit on the porch and um, worship the Lord and remember uh, going to the tomb that first resurrection Sunday morning and finding it empty as the sun rises and it's a beautiful setting and we follow that up with uh, a light uh, continental style breakfast and some fellowship and everyone is invited so we want you to know that you're welcome to come and if you need directions Uh, Just call the church during the week, and I'm sure uh, that uh, you will be able to get clear directions since the person who answers the phone in all likelihood will be Charlotte Boland, and she can tell you just how to get to her house. Uh, One of the pastors that I pray with on Thursday morning said, you know, I've never led a sunrise service. I've never been to one. And I said, well, let's fix that right away. And I invited him to attend ours. And Uh, I think he may take me up on that. So uh, if you haven't been to a sunrise service, this is a good way to begin. The reason that I wanted to kind of uh, leap over some passages and come to Luke 11 and also to Luke 18 is because uh, I feel that this month, the month of April, is a month that our church needs to give um, some very focused attention uh, to prayer, and I wanted to give some practical uh, guidance that Jesus himself gives in these passages on the subject of prayer. Those of you that have been around a bit and have been following the progress, you know that um, next year they're planning to begin construction on this end of a Charles Miller Bull Valley Road. And quite honestly, The change is going to be very dramatic. If you have not been looking at that in the news, uh, this road out in front here is going to become seven lanes wide. I was on a seven lane wide road with intersection the other day, and I just tried to imagine 
what is it going to look like <laughs> to look out the front door and, and look across seven lanes of pavement and a huge intersection and 31 is going to be enlarged and widened as well. And uh, in the process of that, um, as you know, they're going to be taking the entire front parking lot. In fact, the right-of-way will come almost to the sidewalk within less than two feet and the eastbound lanes will be right through the middle of the existing parking lot, about 10 feet from the front steps, or 15 at the most. So we're looking at some pretty dramatic changes. We've also been relatively assured by our attorneys, and it was no surprise to us that the $550,000, give or take a few, that we are requesting for the necessary funds to repair the uh, changes that are being made to us are not going to be granted. Uh, we hope that it'll be somewhere um, close to that, but uh, it may not be. And so the result is that the leadership team is faced with a number of decisions that we have to make in this month, April 25th. We have a pretrial hearing before Judge Weir in the county courthouse and uh, in that uh, hearing, we will be presenting our case. Uh, the County Road Department will also be presenting uh, the situation. And uh, we are hoping that out of that meeting will be an answer so that we can get funded this year. If we wait until they tear up the parking lot to begin to correct the problem, uh, we're going to be way behind times. And so we need to get what we need to done, uh, get done this year so that uh, we'll be ready for that uh, in the next year. Now, having said all of that by way of introduction, uh, one of the things that we need to recognize in our lives, in our congregation's life, uh, is that nothing ever takes God by surprise. We are often surprised. Things happen that we didn't necessarily see coming. Sometimes they're far more sudden and even more impactive than a change like this. But we can rest assured that God is never shocked when the news comes. He knows the news in advance. In fact, the scripture says he knows the end from the beginning. He knows every detail of the unfolding uh, plans of men and nations and of our lives. And all of that is taken into account in his grand purposes and plan. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he established beforehand, that is, in the beginning of creation, that we should walk in them giving the idea that there's already a path mapped out for us in all of our lives, that we should walk in that path that not only affects us as individuals, but it affects all of God's purposes and His plans and His congregations, the local churches that represent His body. So none of this has taken God by surprise. And yet, Oftentimes, I think in the lives of believers, there is frequently a disconnect 
between God's purposes and plans for their lives or their ministries and their own perception and understanding of the things they would like to accomplish. We're not going to know the mind of Christ unless we seek to know the mind of Christ. We're not going to understand the will of God unless we ask Him to reveal to us His purposes. And so it happened in Luke chapter 11 after Jesus had been praying uh, and his disciples had been kind of overhearing his prayer that when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door's already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because of the friendship, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Suppose one of, your, one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In Luke's Gospel, this is a very key and central passage on the subject of prayer. And very much like uh, Jesus' inclusion in the Sermon on the Mount, um, one of the disciples asked Him, Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus gives some guidelines. He says, when you pray, there are some things that should always be a part of your conversation with God. First of all, you need to be concerned about His will and about His glory. That needs to be uppermost in your mind. When you pray, uh, here's a beginning place. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy or sacred is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, accomplish your purposes. I'm concerned, Father, about your glory and your will. I want it to be done here as it is in heaven. And then he says, it is appropriate for you to ask your heavenly Father for your daily needs. You know, a lot of times I think for many of us... um, Praying for daily needs or asking the blessing at the table becomes sort of rote. 
Um, it's the kind of thing that we do over and over again, perhaps uh, in some occasions thoughtlessly. I am one of those people that I tend to say something very similar uh, each time I ask a blessing. I don't deviate a lot at that moment. Um, and uh, I look back in the culture of, uh, of Israel and, and Judaism, and I am reminded that they used specific prayers on specific occasions. And probably Jesus himself, when he gave thanks for the food, used one of those traditional prayers of thanksgiving. The point is not whether your praying is rote or whether it's creative and different every time. The point is that Jesus is wanting us to recognize that we are completely dependent upon him for our daily necessities. That we live in a dependent relationship. You say, well, I get a, I get a salary, I get a paycheck, I go to the store, I buy groceries, uh, I put the food on the table, uh, you know, I earned my check. What does God have to do with that? And my question is, what does God have to do with you breathing? What does he have to do with the strength that you expended to earn your money? What does he have to do with the fact that you're still getting a paycheck? What does he have to do with any of it? He has everything to do with all of it. It is by his grace and his mercy and his goodness that we have any of the things that we have. Sometimes I sit down to a meal and, I'm, and, and I think about how it's going to taste. Maybe I'm telling you too much about myself. <laughs> but I think about how it's going to taste. And I'm amazed that God gave me taste buds and a sense of smell. That I can actually enjoy what I eat. You know, I could just chew grass all the time, like a cow. Uh, he could have made a food substance that was good for humans. The same thing, every meal, every day, day after day, without change, the same color, the same temperature, the same taste, all the time. But he didn't. He made this amazing variety. I'm belaboring the point to underscore the fact that Jesus is recognizing that everything we have comes from him, and we live in a dependent relationship we ought to look to him expectantly for the provision, and when we get it, we should be grateful that he has permitted our, the privilege that we have of having this, because it may not always be that way, and it certainly isn't that way around the world. And so Jesus says, today, Lord, give us our needs. Individually, and we can pray that corporately as a church. Lord, we have needs right now. I ask you to give us our needs. I ask you to meet these needs in our lives. And then Jesus said, you should give some attention to relationships. You should pause to think about, do you have any strained relationship between you and another person? Is there someone you need to, be, uh, to forgive? Is there someone... Uh, that needs uh, your forgiveness or you need to be forgiven by them. And by the way, are you in a good relationship with God? 
Do I need to be forgiven by Him? Have I strained our relationship through disobedience? And so Jesus says, these are the things that you should be praying about. And He says, when you pray this way, I want to tell you a story. There was a fellow, and a person came from a long journey and showed up at his doorstep in the middle of the night. Now, we were privileged during mission conference to learn a little bit about Middle Eastern culture. And, and you know that in the Middle East, if someone shows up at your house, you better be prepared to provide a meal for them. If not, it, it is probably the greatest social faux pas that you can commit. And you have to feed them. Uh, our missionary friend said that uh, oftentimes when they just go for a casual visit, they're expected to stay anywhere from four to six hours, and it always includes tea and it always includes a meal. That's just part of it. It has been that way for thousands of years. And so this fellow not only is expecting this hospitality, but he's been on a journey and he's shown up in the middle of the night. It's late. And he's hungry and he's tired and he's expecting to be cared for. Um, and his friend is embarrassed because he's out of food. He doesn't have any fresh bread baked. And so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go to my neighbor's house and I'll uh, borrow some from him. Now this is midnight, Jesus says. And he goes to the neighbor and he kind of bangs on the door and he says, I need to borrow three loaves. And the guy says, what are you doing bothering me? It is the middle of the night. I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. We're asleep. Go away. And Jesus said, I tell you what, <laughs> he won't get up for friendship, but if the guy keeps knocking on the door, he will get up and give him whatever he needs just because he's so annoying. And he wants to go back to sleep. Now, it's interesting that Jesus likens this to prayer. But very quickly, he tells us that our Father is not like this neighbor. That our Father is one who is interested in us. He doesn't sleep. He never slumbers. He is always attentive. He cares about us. He wants to bless us with good things. He says, even you fathers, with all kind of mixed motives and morality, if your children ask you for food, you're not going to give them a snake or a scorpion. You're going to give them what they need. So he says, learn a lesson from here that persistence pays off. But your Father is attentive to you, so don't give up. Be faithful and persistent in your praying. Seek the Lord. I have to ask myself the question, and perhaps you do as well. If God is so attentive and so interested, and He's not like this neighbor, why should we have to be persistent in our praying? And I submit to you that many times we go to God and we have something in mind. And while we perceive our need, the reality is that what we're asking for 
is not the best thing. In fact, it may take some discussion with God to come to a place where we're ready to receive the right answer. It also may require some discussion to perfect our motivation. James puts it very interestingly in James chapter 4 when he says, you don't have because you don't ask. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But the second part of it is, when you do ask, you don't receive because your motives are wrong. You want to just satisfy your own desires. Consume it on your lust is the language. You just want to meet your own need. You want to satisfy your desire as you perceive it. So two problems. We fail to pray and so we don't receive. When we do pray, oftentimes, if you're just kind of throwing up a quick prayer, it's to get what you want. And you say, well, God didn't give me that, so there's no point in bothering him with stuff in my life. But James says you don't, you're not receiving because you're asking with the wrong motivation. The person who's willing to come to God, lay hold of him, and be persistent is a person in whom God will begin to refine and perfect and, and deal with the, the issue until we are on the same page. But I want to back up to that idea that you don't have because you don't ask. Many of us as believers, frankly, live our lives like deists. Do you know the, the, the theology, the practical theology of a deist is, yes, there's a God and he got this whole thing started, but he kind of wound it up like a clock and now he's off on vacation. And it's just running on its own. What is to be will be, there's nothing I can do about it, it's not going to change, Life's just going to be whatever it is. That attitude is not only fatalistic, it's disastrous for a believer. The scripture says that God, even though he knows the end from the beginning, he is actively involved in our lives in this moment. And there are things that he wants to accomplish that many times are not accomplished because we don't ask him. And that's, that, is, that is a very profound idea in the subject of prayer. It makes no, I will be very honest, it makes no sense to me to pray if God's just going to do whatever he pleases anyway, and I have nothing to say about it. What sense does that make? And some people will say, well, it brings you kind of closer to God, and it makes you feel good, and it's nonsense. Prayer is intended to get results. And if I am not going to get results, it makes no sense to ask. Jesus says in John 15, and I've given this in, in your sermon outline, in John 15... He reminds us, ask in my name, and it will be given to you. In fact, he says, for this purpose I've called you, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, 
that the Father will be glorified in your asking that you will bear fruit and that fruit will have eternal significance. I've called you to bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? By asking the Father to accomplish His purposes in our lives. Prayer is a crucial part of that. I believe that the Scripture teaches that when we pray, we come into alignment with the Father, alignment with His will. We ask Him to do the things that He desires to do, and He, through the Holy Spirit, is released to accomplish those things in our lives. Oftentimes it makes a difference in whether we're going to get to participate or not in the purposes of God. I've said before, you know, you're not going to hold up the second coming because you didn't pray. But you may miss out on a great benefit of being a part of that group that's anticipating his return. And in very many little things, you may miss them entirely because you didn't ask for them. I heard an illustration one time, kind of a sappy story, if you'll pardon me for telling it, that a fellow died and went to heaven. And uh, he was taken to his mansion and given a guided tour of his mansion upon his arrival. They got to one room, and the door was open, and there's this huge room. And it was filled floor to ceiling with all kind of wrapped presents. You know, and he was very puzzled. And he said to the guide, uh, what is this room, and what are all these presents? And the guide said, those are all the answers to prayer that you never asked for. Sappy story, I admit, but it does illustrate the point. God has things for us that we will not get unless we ask. He calls us to partner with Him, to invest with Him in His purposes in the world, and to ask, and when we ask, he is free to work and to go to work and to provide the answers. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Sometimes people give up. They get discouraged. They quit. Jesus says we ought to pray and not give up and become faint-hearted. In fact, in Luke 11, when he says, Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. All of those verbs are present tense. And, and what they mean is, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. God says, and you shall search for me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You know, God is not particularly interested in those who are half-hearted, who are divided in their motivation. But for those who pursue Him with their whole heart, and you will search for me and you will be found of me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so in Luke 18, he says, men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. 
and he was telling them a story. He said there was a widow, and she had come into some kind of situation where she was being sued. She had an opponent at law who was trying to take advantage of her. And she kept going to the judge and asking for help. And the judge did not fear God or man and frankly didn't care a lick about her. And so he just sort of ignored her. But she would not quit. She kept going. She kept asking. She kept demanding justice. She kept bothering the judge. And finally, he says to himself, Oh, I don't fear God and I don't fear man. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to give her what she wants, lest she wear me out. <laughs> and Jesus told this story in relationship to prayer. Once again, I underscore the fact that God is not an unjust judge. Jesus' point is, if you can motivate human beings and authority to act because you are persistent and you won't quit, how much more will God who loves you care for those who are His own? And so seek Him and lay your issues before Him and seek His mind and His purposes. There's a lot of mystery involved in prayer, but the things that we are told are very clear. We ought always to pray and not to faint. We don't have because we don't ask. We need to be persistent and faithful. It needs to matter to us. I wonder how many times you and I have prayed or had a prayer meeting, and then we leave and go home and can't even remember what we asked. How important is it to you if you can't remember it ten minutes later? How important do you think it is from God's perspective to you? But when something is bothering you, when something matters, and it's on your mind, and you're talking to God about it over and over, seeking His wisdom, seeking His guidance, seeking His answers, you're invested God is able to speak to you. And eventually, as you come into alignment with God's purposes, He will respond to the prayers and answer and give you what it is that we need. And He is free to work. The Scripture makes that very clear. And so I want to say to you, we're at a point in the life of our church where we need to pray. Many important and significant decisions are going to be made this month. We need answers. We need remuneration of funds for what's going to happen out here. We need to know what to do with them. We need to know the best response. We need to understand the future of God's purposes for our congregation. This decision is not about a road. This decision is about the life of this ministry in this community. It's about God's next step for this congregation. Our need is not to have 
an adequate building. Our need is to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ and for those who respond to him to bring them into discipleship, to know and follow him into maturity. That is our mission and our purpose. As you go, make disciples of all the peoples, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. This is the mission. And yet, we require means for its accomplishment. How will that be done? We are in the throes of a decision process right now that will determine the, the future of our congregation. I will share with you as I shared uh, with the 8 o'clock service, and I hope none of you take offense at this, um, but I shared this with our leadership team back at the beginning of the fiscal year, and I made this statement. This is the year that we need to make decisions in two very important realms. We need to effectively continue to minister to an aging congregation while investing in the next generation. We have to accomplish both of those things. We are in a transitional phase. We have a number of people in our church who are my age and older and who are facing the reality that 10, 15 years of invested ministry may be the max. But we have people in their 20s and 30s who have decades of effective ministry. We have to successfully pass the baton. We have to use what we've been given to set them up to carry the mission on forward and to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ. We can't just sit back and serve ourselves. The task is not complete. And so we have a job before us. Rowena shared with me an article that she had... Uh, read and I read it last evening before I went to bed um, happens to be by a fellow that I have known through the years um, Dr. Gordon Meyer well I can't find the front of it but anyway uh, it's published in the Alliance Life he was a pastor and then a district superintendent for 18 years and then he had some uh, very serious surgery that did not go well and he had a lot of complications uh, got an infection from the hospital and spent a number of months uh, on IV antibiotic therapy and um, after that uh, got over you know he just was kind of left in a condition where he just didn't have a lot of strength and and energy He was coming to the end of his term as a superintendent and uh, heard about one of the congregations in Ohio that was feeling called of God to plant a daughter church and he said to his wife, I think God wants us to go plant that church. I've planted churches. <laughs> Starting in your 60s to plant a church is probably not the first choice. But that was his. After all of this. 
And so they went to a community that was about 35,000 people, 50% Roman Catholic. Doesn't remind me of any place I've ever been. But anyway, he went to this community, and uh, he went with the intention of planting a church. That was a few years ago, maybe three years ago, this past Easter Sunday, they had a thousand in attendance on Resurrection Sunday. And God opened the doors mightily. Do you know how that church began? It began in a prayer meeting. Began in a prayer meeting. The prayer meeting became the central part of their focus. And in fact, he said, we never bothered to tell new believers that the prayer meeting was the least attended service in the church. And so we told them that it was the most important meeting that happened all week. <laughs> and all the people they led to Christ kind of adopted that mentality of coming to prayer meeting. Um, Jesus said, I have appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit will remain. How is that done? It's done through prayer. Friends, God does not want us to do something that we can do. He wants us to do something that only He can do. He wants us to be the open vessel, the willing vehicle for the accomplishment of purposes that only He can do. And He's calling us to that. And so I'm going to ask you to join with me and with our leadership this month of April in devoting this month to prayer. What does that look like? Well, in your small groups, I want to ask you to make that a part of every small group meeting. To pray for uh, Christina Webb, the district attorney, who is actually working for the county, but she's been out here and seen and has great sympathy toward us, to pray for Judge Weir, who has decisions to make, to be in prayer for the people that are involved in this process. There, there's no enemy here. There are just people that need to solve a problem, but we're in the middle of it. And we need to be praying for that, for God's will and purposes to be accomplished. We need to know what his purposes are. Make that a part of your small group meetings. I'm going to ask you for a month, and I know that um, many of you uh, commute and that uh, getting home and settled on time uh, and getting in time to come back to a prayer meeting on Wednesday night is a very difficult thing. But I'm going to ask you for one month during the month of April to make a special effort to join us for corporate prayer on Wednesday night at 7. Uh, I was very uh, pleased uh, that several people said to me on the way out this morning after the 8 o'clock service, I'm going to try Wednesdays. I've never been. I'm going to come. What's it like? Well, we gather in a group and share the general prayer requests, and then we break up into smaller groups, and we pray all over the room. It's not a Bible study. It's a prayer meeting. We want you to come and join us in prayer. Make it a part of your devotional prayer times and of your life. Every day this week, this month, make prayer for this concern a part of your regular prayer commitment. Make April a month of prayer. I would love to go in on the 25th already knowing the mind of Christ 
anticipating the settlement figure we're going to receive and our leadership team having clear direction on how best to utilize it so that we know clearly from the Lord what his plans are for this time in our church's life. We ought always to pray, never to lose heart, to be persistent. You don't have because you don't ask. When you do ask, if you have wrong motives, you don't get it. But if you allow God to purify your motives, he will lead you in the direction of his purposes and accomplish his will. And, and there is nothing more exciting than being a part of something God is doing. Because it's supernatural. <laughs> it's dramatic. It's thrilling. It's like, wow, God is at work. And we see something far bigger than ourselves. And that's, that's his point. That the Father may be glorified in the answers to prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us this morning. I pray that it would uh, draw us to be men and women of prayer, that we would be devoted to prayer, that we would be committed to you, and that we would recognize without you, we can do nothing. But if you are leading and we are following and asking, there is nothing you cannot do. And so, Lord, we come to you. We give you these decisions, and we give you this month. We ask you to make your guidance clear to our congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.